And today we are kicking off John's Gospel. We're looking at sermon number one. And of course, the title had to be, and we have it up here for you. What does it say? Okay, but you got to believe it. So say it with me again. One, two, three. It's all about Jesus, all right? That is the motto for our church. That is the, the heart of everything that we do. It's about Jesus. And that is the title of today's message. Today, we are kicking off our year-long study in the book of John's Gospel. We're going to be here uh, for a long time. We're going to finish right around Christmas, right in time for the holiday. And um, as we look at John's Gospel, we're looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we constantly talk about Jesus because His life is the most important, the most hated, the most loved, the most rejected, the most worshipped, the most despised, and the most revered life that has ever existed in humanity. Okay? There is nobody like Jesus that divides people so harshly. Uh, if you remember the words of Jesus, He said, I came not to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword or division. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. Just by the mere fact of His existence, He has literally split humanity. We even split time according to the life of Jesus. Uh, it's B.C., which is before Christ, and A.D., which is Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. That's how we split time right down the middle. Now, as we look at John's Gospel, I'm going to give you some introductory information here. And uh, you'll get those study guides on Tuesday so we can get ready to uh, study on our own. But John's Gospel is one of the four Gospels. So the word Gospel means good news. And this Gospel was written around uh, 80 to 90 A.D., possibly between 50 to 60 years after Jesus went back to heaven. So it was pretty recent to when Jesus died and resurrected. It was written by John the Beloved. That's what uh, the church has called him. John, his name means the grace of God. And John, or loved by God, John has really seen the grace of God because he got to see Jesus firsthand. Okay, Think about that for a second. Uh, so many things have been said about Jesus out in the world in secular universities and schools but who better to ask about jesus than john a guy who lived with him for three years john was not only a close friend he was one of the three inner circle so much so that john calls himself the disciple who jesus loved that's not a title of pride you know like moses in the old testament there was nobody more humble in the planet than moses and who wrote that moses <laughs> not, we would say that's not very humble but he wrote it because the lord asked him to write it John says, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. You know, I want to tell you this, my friend. You are a disciple that Jesus loves. The fact that you're here today, Jesus truly does love you. And that was the ministry of John, to be an eyewitness, to see what Jesus did. Now, what's special about John's gospel compared to the other four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then, of course, John? that about 80 to 90% of what you find in the Gospel of John, you don't find it anywhere else. About 80 to 90%, it's because he saw it firsthand. So quickly, what's the purpose of him writing this Gospel? Well, let me read this to you in John 20. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Why did John write his gospel? He says, I want to prove to you that Jesus is who He says He is, and I want you to believe in Him, because by believing in Him, you will have eternal life. 
Again, what a blessing to read the Gospel of John. So why don't we pray and we'll jump right into chapter 1. Lord, I thank you for this amazing, wonderful, well-documented book of the Bible. Thank you, Lord, for your servant, John, for this man who was blessed and loved by you, that he wrote down faithfully everything that he saw. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we study this great book throughout the entire year, you would reveal yourself to us in many different aspects of your character and of your person. We thank you, God, for sending your son. We thank you for sending John to write this. And we thank you for the men who worked so hard to give us a Bible so that we could read it in our own language. Lord, help us to understand who you are and what you do. And all we can say, Lord, is thank you. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get to it. John chapter 1. And of course, we're going to read verse 1. And this is uh, the first point here, in the beginning. So read it with me, John 1, 1, all together. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Think about this. If you wrote an essay, a letter, you would probably start by saying, My name is so-and-so, and I'm here to tell you about so-and-so. John is very humble here. He starts not with himself. He starts with Jesus. John begins with Jesus, and alone in this one chapter of the Bible, which we're going to take a couple of weeks to get through, he gives Jesus 10 different titles. So those of you who are note takers, here you go. He gives Jesus 10 titles in chapter 1, which describe who he is and what he does. The first title is Word, the Word. The next title, Creator. He also gives Jesus the title of Light. He also calls him the life. Tell me if uh, I'm kind of losing you so I can give you time to write. He calls him the word, the creator, light, life. He also calls him flesh. He calls Jesus God. He calls Jesus the son. He calls Jesus Lord. He calls Jesus lamb and he calls Jesus Messiah. In one chapter, 10 different titles. And they kind of tell us about, again, who he is. And let me tell you this, the, the way that this book begins, it says this, in the beginning was the word. I got to tell you something, it all begins with Jesus. That's the point here. Everything has to begin with Jesus, your identity. If you start with, I am a worker of so-and-so, that's my identity, you've started off at the wrong place. It begins with Jesus, your identity. Your purpose. You might ask yourself, why am I put on this earth? Why am I here today? If it doesn't start with Jesus, you've started in the wrong place. It all begins with Jesus. Your ambitions. Uh, I saw a friend this week, he posted something about ambition. Are we allowed to have ambition in the world? Yes or no? What do you think? Yes. We're supposed to have ambition for God's things. We're supposed to be empowered to do things for the Lord and not be lazy, right? Ambition. What else starts with Jesus? Salvation, our marriage. You want to have a strong, founded marriage, you have to start with Jesus. How many of you can say, those of you who perhaps are in a dating relationship, you've dated in the past, Jesus, yeah, He should be at the bottom of that. He should be at the foundation. Church and life. Now let's go back to the text there. He says, in the beginning was the word. That phrase, word, in the original Greek is logos. If you've ever wondered, why is our church called Logos Baptist Church? Well, in the original Greek, it means this, divine knowledge, 
divine consciousness, divine intelligence. The Greek philosophers, if any of you are taking uh, philosophy this semester, the Greek philosophers, the Greek thinkers of antiquity, they knew that there was some knowledge out there that created everything. They didn't believe this modern, which is a modern myth, that nothing exploded and created everything. They didn't believe that. They knew there had to be some creator out there. We just don't know who he is. That's what they said. Here, John goes a little further than that. And he says, our creator is not some knowledge out there. He's a very personal God. You need to know this. Our God is a personal God. It's not some force out there. It's not some energy that flows through us. He is a person. That's who God is. And what does it mean that He's personal? Well, He's involved in our lives. He's involved in everything you do. Okay? Now, a lot of us think of this as God is a tyrant. Why is He just watching me all the time? Why is He just keeping an eye on me, keeping tabs on me? That's not what it is at all. God is a Father who wants to be involved in your life. Raise your hand if the few of you who have had a very good father. If you've had a good father, despite his shortcomings, you know he's a good dad. Raise your hand if that's you. Okay? Isn't your father involved? Doesn't he ask questions? How you doing? Mijito, mijita, kiss on the head, hugs you a little too tight. You're like, come on, let me go. I'm not a little kid anymore. And you're, in your dad's mind, you're always going to be a little kid, right? Amen? Okay. Um, I kind of take advantage because my sister is here. Uh, to me, in my mind, she's always going to be my baby sister. Even though she's an adult, she has her own car, she's my baby sister. That's how our Father sees us. That's how God sees us as little children. And we learn this, that He's a personal God who does not ignore us, but He gets involved. Now, let's think about this again. John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. Doesn't that kind of remind us of something else in the Bible? Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Before we go there, let's read Gen uh, John 1, 2, and 3. It says this, He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. So let's take it step by step. In the beginning was this divine knowledge. He's Jesus. That's who He is. This divine knowledge, Jesus, it says, He was with God in the beginning, and He is or was God. If you ever wondered, does the Bible plainly state that Jesus is God? Yes. John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus is God. And unfortunately, what the Jehovah's Witness Church do is this verse, this part there in John 1.1, 1, 1, they change it. They don't say that the Word was God. They say that the Word was a God. They say that Jesus was one of many gods. They changed completely the identity of Jesus. Now let's go to this cross-reference here in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. As John is writing this and receiving it from the Lord, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's making a parallel between the creation story of Genesis and the identity of Jesus. So when we read this, in the beginning, God what we should quickly understand is, in the beginning, the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. If you actually go to the original Hebrew of Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, Elohim. Elohim is a plural word for God. It's a plural. So we see at the very beginning there, the Trinity, pre-existing what we know as creation. And I'm going to bring this to you because we have a lot of college students here today. 
I want you to think about special creation versus evolution, okay? Secular, the secular world would tell you we come from evolution, that over millions and even possibly billions of years, nothing exploded, and then that nothing over billions of years became everything, okay? Pop quiz, what is the definition of nothing? You can shout it out. Let's see, even if you went to public school like I did at Porter High School, what does nothing mean? Nothing, <laughs> right? And uh, a lot of smart guys with a lot of degrees in college, and they went to college, they went to university, they've redefined the word nothing to mean something, okay? This is a lot of crazy talk. Let's talk about creation. There's only two options here. Either God made us with a purpose, and God spoke us into existence, or Again, we evolved from nothing. And what's the difference here? Well, we are, we are either a cosmic accident or pur purposefully made. Why do you think there's such a debate right now about whether children have value or not in the womb? You know, we talk about it's not a baby, it's just a clump of cells. That's what they say. If you give it time, sure, it'll become a baby, but right now it's just a little parasite inside the mother. Where do you think that comes from? That comes from this mentality of we just evolved over time. We just got really lucky, and we're very lucky animals that became humans. But the, the Bible says something different. It says that in the beginning, Jesus was there. He created everything, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. I want to grow your knowledge of Jesus. He's not only the Savior. He's not only the Lord that I worship. Jesus is your Creator. I know this blows your mind a little bit. I never thought of Jesus that way. Didn't we just see him as, you know, a nice guy who got crucified? Here John's explaining very clearly. No, he pre-existed creation. He made everything. It's amazing. Now, if we're not accidents, then that means we have a purpose. And let me give you your life's purpose. To glorify God. That is the purpose of your existence. What does glorify mean? That means everything you do, you do it for Him. That means think of yourself as a little mirror. Let's use this illustration. You are to reflect the character of God to the rest of humanity. So when that little old lady cuts you off at ATV, and you want to talk about her mama, what do we do? We say, would Jesus do that? Probably not. <laughs> when you feel like stealing, because it's easier to just take it, it's right there. You ask, what would the Lord Jesus have me do? Probably not steal, probably work with my hands to earn my living. When you feel like falling into lust, you would, would, is that a reflection of the character of God falling into sexual sin? No, because that's not who Jesus is. You see, that is our life's purpose, to glorify God. Your purpose, let me set you free from this, your purpose is not to make a lot of money, not to be really happy on this earth, not to have a really nice looking wife or husband, and to have a really nice home that always smells good all the time. Are those bad things? No, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose is to be an image bearer of God, to show the character of God to the world. Everything else is secondary. And that should set you free a little bit. Now, Think of Jesus as the creator. Think of the power it must take 
to create a universe just by speaking it. It's amazing. To create the planets by speaking them. To create animals with very intricate designs just by speaking. To create the angels that we don't see by speaking. To create heaven. To create you, a human being. Any of you took anatomy last year or this semester? How many bones in our body? How many? 216? 206. Somebody's lying. <laughs> 206. Right. 206 bones in your body, holding you up, blood flowing through your veins. Let's ruin your afternoon for a second. It breathes by itself, and now you realize that you are breathing, and now you got to take a breath. The way God made you is so amazing. Jesus is that creator. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, let's go to the second part there, the light of the world. John 1, 4 through 9. Now that we know who he is, let's see what he does. John 1, 4 through 9. I'm going to ask you to read it with me. All together, John 1, 4 through 9. Let's read it all together. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Now John says this word, this divine knowledge, he also had light in him. He also had life in him. And as he was getting ready to come into the world, he sent a man ahead of him named John, and this is John the Baptist, to be a preacher, to prepare the way for Jesus. He says, because of this light, he became the light of men. Again, what is he talking about? Well, what book of the Bible did we say he's using as a parallel? Genesis. So let's go to Genesis, back where we left off. Genesis 1, 3 through 4. Read it all together with me. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. If we can scroll back to the John 1, 1 for a second. Again, that parallel. He's really driving this home. He's your creator, and the same creator who made light has light in him. And what does this light do? Well, there are five things that light does, and if you're taking notes, here's a good place. Five things that light does. Number one, it illuminates so that you can see reality. How many of you, you like to eat with the lights probably dim or dark? When you like to eat kind of in the dark, okay? I'm one of those. My wife has all the lights. I'm like, turn off all the light. Let me just eat in silence and let's get this over with, you know? <laughs> my wife says, turn everything on. And when she does, my eyes start burning a little bit, right? But light, what does it do? It illuminates. So you can see the reality of things around you. If you've got to go take your food back to the server, hey, this is not what I asked for, you got to be able to see it, right? The illustration he's giving here is that Jesus illuminates the reality of sin. When we look at Jesus, we see a perfect man. And when we compare ourselves to that perfect man, we see we're not perfect. You see, the world minimizes sin. Jesus exposes it. Jesus never settled with somebody and said, you know what, your sin's not that bad. He plainly said to a woman, for example, how many husbands have you had? Well, a lot. Yeah, exactly. And the one you're with is not your husband. He said to another man, 
You love your money so much, but you say you don't. Go sell it and give it to the poor. Jesus always confronted sin openly because He is the light and He illuminates so that we can see the reality of sin. When we look at Jesus, we understand, I'm going to share kind of a computer science term with you, um, the binary thinking of God. Any computer science students, you took some of those classes? What is binary? Binary is a series of ones and zeros in computer language which represent whether a light is turned on or off. God thinks in binary. He thinks of good and evil. He thinks of angels and demons. He thinks of heaven and hell. He thinks of man and woman. He thinks of night and day. God thinks in binary. You see, there is no shadow with God. It's either yes or no. On or off. You're with me or you're against me. You love me or you don't. And Jesus, because He's the light, He shows us that reality so that we can be honest and not hypocrites. It's so important to understand who He is. Number two, what else does the light do? The light removes fear of the unknown. Question, how many of you are still, be honest, remember the light? How many of you are still afraid of the dark? Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. And it's not so much darkness that scares you. It's what's out there, right? What could be out there. The unknown. Darkness gives us fear because we don't know what's out there. But the light removes that fear. Turn on the lights. Oh, okay, everything's where it should be, right? You ever gone to, quick story, you ever gone to sleep? You have your little pile of clothes, which you know you do, and it starts to look like something. You're like, oh, that's my sleep paralysis monster or whatever. No, you just got to put your clothes away. But you don't know that unless you turn on the lights. Again, this silly illustration to re reflect the truth here that Jesus, as the light, He removes our fear of what's out there, for example, in death. We don't know what's after death until Jesus showed up and told us what death is. Now we don't have to be afraid of it anymore. He removes the fear of suffering because we think the worst thing that could happen in our life is that we suffer. Jesus told us it's not that you suffer, it's that you die and then go suffer eternally. That's the real fear. Remember he told us? What else does light do? Number three, it draws others to it. It draws others to it. Any of you gone to a light show? Any of you gone to a concert and they have lights at the very front? This kind of a silly illustration here. The worship leaders, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. All the spotlights on them, right? What does it do? It attracts people to it, to the light. And Jesus, by being the light, He draws us to Himself. We are attracted to Him because He has something nobody else has. And let me tell you something else, people. As a church, you should love the church. And as we both get closer to Jesus, we start getting closer to each other. If you say you love Jesus, but you don't love the people here in this church, what Jesus are you loving? Because He loves you. He loves us. And as we get close to Him, we should get close to one another. That's why I encourage you. Don't church hop. Find a church, get planted, get connected, and say, I'm going to love these people until God calls me to move away somewhere else to serve Him there too. Get connected. He draws others to Him. What else does the light do? 
It provides energy and healing. How many hours a day do you spend outside? Just shout them out. 12 hours in the sun? Yeah? Anybody else? Ashley, how many hours a day do you spend outside? Like two or three max from your 24 hours. Well, 12 of sunlight. And you see, if you go to a, a medical professional, sometimes they'll tell you, you need to go out to get some sunlight to get vitamin D, which is what helps you break down the food and different chemicals in your body. You need sunlight. Have you ever had a little plant? You're supposed to take care of it. When you are a little kid, remember how that little bean plant in that cup? You didn't take care of it. You didn't put it in the sun. What happened to it? it shrivels up and dies. This example, this illustration, again, of sun, of the light, is Jesus. The more we get exposed to Him, the more He provides not only energy, but healing for us. Some of you carry around wounds because you haven't got close to Jesus to let them go and let Him heal the wounds. And lastly, what does the light do? It guides the way. It lights the way so that you don't trip. Jesus is that light, and He guides you. He shows you the way. Again, too many of us are asking the wrong people for advice. Who is the preacher that all of us listen to the most? Ourselves. We're always preaching a false gospel to ourselves. It's over. It's done. We're going to suffer. She broke my heart. She broke up with me. I thought she was the one. You were maybe a week just going out. You know, it's over. Will I ever find love again? We're always preaching to ourselves these things. But Jesus is the one who lights the way. And he shows us where we're supposed to go. Now let's talk about the opposite of this. Darkness. Light and dark don't mix. And if we say we walk in the light with Jesus, we shouldn't be walking in darkness. You know what that means? We shouldn't be hiding our sin. There shouldn't be anything in us that we would be embarrassed if God was standing right next to us. Because here's the truth. If you belong to Christ, the Spirit is in you. He's always with you. And even if you don't belong to Christ, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord are all over the world, all over the earth, looking into the affairs of men. So don't do anything secretly that you wouldn't want to get caught doing publicly, is what the Bible tells us. Don't walk in darkness. And what is, the opposite? What is an example of this? Something called progressive Christianity. Some of you have heard of this, especially this newer generation on TikTok, on YouTube, progressive Christianity. That, you know what, the Bible's kind of evolving. We shouldn't listen to what Paul said. We, let's change that a little bit and let's make it say what we want to say. Something called deconstruction. You know, let's not think in binary. That's so black and white. Where's all this gray? You know, it's not just man and woman. It's whatever you want to be in the middle. That's darkness. Let me tell you something about darkness. In hell, there will be darkness. You say, well, I thought it's a place of fire. Doesn't fire give light? The Bible calls this outer darkness. There will be a place eternally where the people who get sent to hell will have a new body that will burn forever with a fire that doesn't give light. What does that look like? I have no idea. But it says that those who don't have the life of God in them will be set aside will be in eternal darkness. I had that this morning. I had something similar. I didn't tell my wife. 
I we have a very dark bedroom because we have blackout curtains. Any of you use those? Okay, perfect for sleeping, but not for waking up. And um, so I hear the dog crying. She wants to go outside, take her to use the bathroom. I got up, ran, took the dog. I saw my eyes closed. I kind of know where I am. When I go outside, it was like bright, and it blinded me from halfway down. I couldn't see. It was black. I could only see from like the half up. How do I explain that? I don't know how to explain that. But I was blind for a second. I just like kind of ran to the bed, and I was just like there with her, and it's all good. But I, I was scared. I was like, I can't see. Imagine that for all of eternity, unable to see, darkness. That is what we would call a life apart from the light, who is God. And let me tell you this, there is no life outside of God. You think you can succeed in certain things outside of Christ, maybe you'll make a lot of money. Maybe you'll have the trophy wife or husband that you wanted, but it's not God's will, so it won't be blessed. If you're actively looking to sin, my friend, walking in darkness, and you ask God to bless it, He won't bless it. Thank God for the times that He didn't bless your prayer requests because they were for evil, not for good. Amen? Let's continue there. John 1, 10 through 13. We'll go fairly quickly as we start to wrap up. John 1, 10 through 13. It says, Jesus, He was in the world, and the world was created through Him, but the world did not recognize Him. When Jesus came in a human body, we didn't know that was God right away. We thought that was just a regular guy, a carpenter. 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, the Jewish people. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You see, contrary to what our Catholic friends would say, we're not all children of God. It says only those who believed and received him have the right to be called children of God. 13. Those who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. What is it saying there? You're not a Christian because you grew up in a church. You're not a Christian because your parents were Christians. You're not a Christian because you watch a lot of YouTube Christian teaching videos. You're not a Christian because you have the right theology book. You're not a Christian because you know all the Bible stories. I grew up going to Sunday school as a little kid. They used to drop me off. Ages 8 to 9, got baptized at 9. And I knew the Bible stories. I knew who Moses was. I knew who Noah was. Pop quiz for those of you who heard those stories. How many people got on Moses' ark? Zero, because it wasn't Moses' ark. It was Noah's ark. Just trying to see if you're still awake. You see, I grew up knowing that, but I wasn't a Christian. Why? Because I didn't know who Jesus was, what sin was, what He did for me, who I was called to be, a child of His. I didn't know any of that. So I was deceived from ages 9 to 18. I was not a Christian. And it says here, how do you know if you're a Christian? It says, those who were born not of the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. Born of the Spirit of God. How do you know if you're a Christian? Well, part of it is understanding your sin, understanding the Savior, but part of it is, too, your desires change. How many of you can say, my desires have completely changed? I used to love my sin, now I hate my sin. I used to love doing these things that made me feel good carnally, now I'm embarrassed that I ever did those things. 
You see, that's how you know you might be a Christian because the desires completely change. The Bible tells us He'll give us a new heart, new desires. That's the mark of a Christian. Does that mean you won't ever fall into temptation? No, you'll be tempted. But the desire is different. That's what I always tell the guys. Don't settle for sexual sin up here. Go for deeper desires. It's not that you want sex. It's that you want a family. You want to honor God the right way. You want to have a wife. You want to give yourself over to her and her to yourself. Go for the deepest desires. My heart broke this week or the past week. I had a guy just call me on the phone and just straight up tell me, Pastor Manny, I don't think I'm a Christian. And we, okay, why don't you think you're a Christian? What's going on? What does the Bible say? This and that. And I straight up asked him, do you hate your sin? Do you hate the things that are of the world? And he straight up told me, this is the first time I ever heard it like this. He's like, no, I don't hate my sin. I love my sin. It feels good and I want to do it more. Like, you're not a Christian by your own confession. Because you don't love Jesus, you love sin. It says there, those who were born of the Spirit of God. Question yourself, especially as we take of the supper today. Do I belong to Jesus? And the question he asked Peter was this, do you love me? Not do you serve me? Not do you go to Logos Church? Not do you read the Bible every day? He says, do you love me? And Peter had to answer and ask within himself, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. What is the inheritance that we have as God's children? If you belong to Jesus, you're a child of God. Well, one of the parts of the inheritance is this, life. If you're a child of God, the Father gives you eternal life. We don't understand eternal. We understand now. How many of you are about to be 21? Or how many of you are 21 or turned 21 recently? You're like, oh, I'm so old. And I would say, be quiet. You're not that old. I'm going to be 30 this year. Praise God for 30. Any 30-year-olds and, and up with me here? Amen. We would say to those guys saying in their 20s, oh, I'm old. <laughs> Amen, gentlemen? All right. True. <laughs> he says true. All right. He gives eternal life to his children. We, again, we don't understand eternal because around 20, our ankle already hurts a little bit. Getting up is a challenge. At 30, you need help. Like, uh, like, dude, come on. Our grandparents fought wars at 18. We can't get up at 30. Like. But in the kingdom, he will give us a perfect body with eternal life. Forever young. You see, we want a little cheap copy of that here on the earth by not growing up. Dudes in their 40s, 50s still playing around with women, still playing around with games, playing around with toys and money. We want to stay forever young here, which is just a little cheap copy of the kingdom where we will have eternal life and be forever young with God. Number two, what's part of that inheritance? The kingdom. You, if you're a believer, you will rule over the new creation with God. What do you currently rule over right now? You say, my bank account, and it's not going so well. You say, my dog, and it's not very well fed. You say, my grades and my GPA is not looking so great. That's what you rule over now. If you belong to Christ, one day you will rule over the nations. You say, how do I get there? Belong to Him. He will transform you. It says that we will judge the angels. 
You know this. Christians will judge the demons who sinned against God. We will sit in thrones judging over Satan and the demons. Again, that's mind-boggling. How, how does that work? I don't know, but he promised it. Number three, what's part of this inheritance as a child of God? A family. Jesus told the people around him. They, they told Jesus, and we'll see it in a few weeks. Jesus, your brothers and your mom are outside. They're waiting for you, so you can leave already. And he says, my mother is right here. My brother is right here. My sister is right here. Those who do the will of God are my family. So today, I can genuinely call Dante my brother, and I will tell him, away me bra, and he will say, away, which is an Afrikaans way of saying, what's up, my brother? And I can mean it. Because the Spirit makes us brothers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. You have family you've never even met. You have family in Utah, and we're going to go meet them someday soon, by God's grace. Number four, what's a part of this inheritance? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, none of this is necessarily money, but it's things that are much more rich than money. A lot of us don't know what forgiveness is because we never had it at home. There was no forgiveness on the part of our parents, was there? Like you messed up, and that's it, no hope. A lot of us didn't have forgiveness from our loved ones, from our friends. How many of you have lost friends that they just never forgave you for a sin that you committed? Lost friends. But God gives us forgiveness. As His children, He sits us down as a father and He says, you know, I love you, I forgive you. How many of us wish we had that from our dad someday? We never had that. This forgiveness that He gives us, then we can give it to other people. I encourage you, forgive as God has forgiven you. Don't hold a grudge. That's the inheritance you have as God's child, to be able to forgive. Including forgiving yourself. If He forgave you, walk in that forgiveness. And lastly on this, John 1, 14-18. We're only 18 verses deep, and this is going kind of deep, isn't it? I was talking to Juan, he told me, man, it took me like an hour to just preach three verses. I know. And if we were to do that, we would never finish John's gospel. So we've got to kind of push through a little bit. John 1, 14 through 18. Why don't we read it all together? It says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, The one coming after me ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. Pause there. That little phrase there, the word became flesh. That is something called the incarnation. What does that word incarnation mean? Carne, meat. It says God took on meat. He took on a body. This divine knowledge took on a human form. That's Jesus. And he dwelt among us. This is so contrary to many religions where you have to work really hard to go get God's love. You have to go try to make your way up to heaven. And here, the Word, God, comes down to us because He knows we can't get our way up there. And it says, We observe His glory as the Son, the only Son from the Father, with grace and truth. 
And John the Baptist talked about him saying, this is the one that I said, the one that comes after me, ranks ahead of me, he existed before me. Altogether, verse 16. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We'll pause there. It says, we've received grace upon grace. What is grace? Again, definition. It's undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy. We don't ask for God's love. He freely gives it to us. Undeserved. That's grace. And the same thing with forgiveness. Are you willing to share that grace with other people when they fail? When they disappoint you? The Bible says, Cursed is the man that trusts in man. Because they're going to fail you. So are we willing to have grace with them the way God has had grace with us? It says, The law was given through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. What is he talking about there? He's saying the Old Testament, it gave us the law. How many laws were there approximately? About 600 something. Imagine trying to keep that every day of your life. 600 laws. Have you ever tried to do that? God, today I'm not going to sin. Five minutes later, fail. I used to do that all the time. Lord, today, yeah, I'm not going to do it. You got me. Moses gave us the law, and the law is good, but none of us keep it. So Jesus came, and He gave us grace, undeserved love, and truth. Now, talking about the incarnation again, I want you to think of yourself. You are a human being, and you have one nature, the human nature, right? God, Jesus Christ, He's a being with two natures. He's always at the same time God. He's always at the same time human. That's Jesus. The theologians call this the hypostatic union. You don't need to know that word right now, but that's what they call it. And it's this perfect union of two different natures, the human and the divine nature. And what does that mean? Well, as man, as the perfect man, he could be the perfect substitute to die for your sins. God could punish him instead of you because he was perfect, unlike us. That's what, unlike us. That's what he came to do as man. And as God, he could forgive those sins because only God can forgive sin. So we have this perfect God man, and that's what we're going to start calling Jesus. Now it's another phrase, another term for you there. We call him the God man. He's the only one. He forgave sin and he died for those sins. That's what he came to do. Now let's wrap up. 18. What does it say there? No one has ever seen God. Pause. How many have seen God? No one. Well, what about that really cool story with that little kid who died and went to heaven? Uh, Jesus is for real. Or heaven is for real. No. It says, no one has seen God. No one. Not your tia who says she has visions and dreams. Not the little kid who he didn't even come up with the story. It was his dad, who is a pastor of a church. Shame on that guy. No one has seen God, the Bible says. What does it say there? The one and only Son, who is Himself God and is at the Father's side, He has revealed Him. And that's great news for us. Because if we did not have Jesus, we would not know who God is. 
Jesus came to reveal God to us. So we would know his character, his likes, his dislikes, the things that he truly loves and the things that he absolutely hates. Jesus came to reveal. What does the word reveal? To pull back the curtain so we could see for ourselves who he is. So again, as I always say, let me save you that money. Don't watch those movies. Don't read those books. No one has seen God. So Pastor Manny, is it sinful if we paint a picture of Jesus? Not necessarily. He was also man. But he probably didn't look like the pictures paint him to be. They always paint him beautiful with rosy cheeks and long, beautiful hair with product in that hair. And the Bible tells us he was just a regular dude going to work, swinging a hammer. That's what he would have looked like. But at the same time, he was God. My prayer for you as we close this for today, and again, such a rich book of the Bible. This is just the introduction. As we see this introduction, I, I pray that you would stick around to have Jesus truly revealed to us in all of his glory. And we, so we always tell new people, new believers, start with the Gospel of John. And as you go through it page by page, God will reveal himself to you. You will understand who God is. The word became flesh. God lived among us. And the question is, why? When a lot of us are trying to get off this planet, that's what SpaceX is all about. Trying to get off. Jesus says, I'm going to come down. And I'm going to save everyone who believes in me. Ask yourself that question. Do I trust him? And as we prepare to take of the supper, ask yourself again, have I really put my faith in him? And if not, I need to do this today. I have urgency. Because my friend, you and I don't know when we're going to die. And you know what's not scary? Death. You know what is scary? Death and hell. That's scary. So if today the Lord is calling you to turn away from your sins, to turn to the Son Jesus, be forgiven, be loved, be saved, be given a new identity, be given a purpose, then do it. He's calling you today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the vast richness that there is. And Father, if we only had eternity to really be able to flesh out every single verse, in its entirety, we would do so. And we will someday, as we will know you fully. But today, Lord, as we've read these verses, this ink on paper, we pray that it'll be more than that. That your word will be an active sword that pierces to our hearts, that cuts deep. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your son, Jesus. We have no need for more prophecies for more words of wisdom other than what you've already revealed to us through your Son. Thank you for revealing your Son to us. 